So we're going on in this class. Uh, today we're going to talk about the queen of despair. We're talking about bloodlines and battles. And so here's our, our outline. We just finished talking about the Samaritans and the house of Omri, but we're going to kind of finish with that concept with a queen of despair uh, here today. So here's our objectives that will follow in your notes. Number one, we're going to look at the house of Omri, just a little bit of a review from last week. They're going to look at the aftermath, what happened after that showdown with Elijah and the prophets of Baal. So we talked about it last week. We'll kind of look at what happens as a result of that. Then we're going to look at a bloodbath. Uh, and so that'll be enjoyable to some, uh, but we'll see what everyone else thinks. And then what about despair? And so it's kind of interesting how a lot of this stuff mimicked Mike's sermon today too. So some of this despair, if you kind of cheat and know the end of the movie, there's no tension in a good show. And so we always cheat because we're looking back to the cross and solution, but we're going to try to go back in time. And what if you were walking through this a little bit? So we're going to talk about the house of Omri in review. So here's our outline. You have the uh, unified kingdom, and that's when the kingdom really comes into play from God's perspective, and then you follow it through the lines uh, in the visions to Daniel, and that's united under David, and then it's divided, and you have Omri, the Samaritans, into King Ahab. And remember, these guys here, the Samaritans are all Jews at this time. They're all Israelites. They all descend from Abraham. It's not till they're taken captive in the north to Assyria that they get replaced by non-Israelites and, you know, the so-called half-breeds, etc. So at the beginning, they were all legitimate descendants of Abraham. But they go to Ethbaal, the king of Tyre, and seek out Baal worship and import that into Israel. So we're going to just review Ahab. Ahab married Jezebel. He went, he went out to seek Baal. He worships Baal and then he brings Baal back to Samaria. So that's a brief outline of Ahab in 1 Kings 16, 29 to 33. So it makes sense from a geopolitical standpoint because remember we have the divided kingdom. We have the north Samaria, the south Jerusalem with Judah. And Ahab is the king of Samaria up in the north. He goes up to Tyre, the Phoenicians, who again, you notice all their cities are on the naval fronts versus inland. So they are the best navy of the ancient world. Tyre and Sidon together would be synonymous with calling it the Phoenicians, but that's that group of people. So he goes up to Ethbaal, the king of Tyre, who is the priest of Baal, and Ahab says, you know what, let me marry your daughter. That's going to help solidify my northern border. So it makes sense from that perspective. But we're in this class looking at bloodlines, and last week we asked the question, well, what bloodline are we looking at? And it's this one right here from Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman, and who is that seed of the woman? Jesus, there we go. I even got some Reese's peanut butter cups. So that is the seed of the woman is the Messiah, Jesus. So God is saying that is the centerpiece that is going to weave through history. Satan also knows that, and he wants to try to prevent that. So the question last week was whose idea was this? And of course, just like Mike's sermon, God has providence. He's always in control. But Satan is always trying to thwart God. And so Satan is always behind the scenes as well. So it would look like Ahab's idea to do this, but we know really it's Satan behind Ahab 
But Satan is a little g-god. He's not a big g-god. God is the sovereign one. But Satan is looking at that bloodline to the Messiah to try to prevent that. That's his focus. And notice, you know, in spiritual warfare, there is geographical boundaries. There's strength. There's weak areas. You have the, the mountain of God down in Sinai, and you have Mount Carmel up here, the stronghold of, Ty- of the Tyre, but of Satan and Baal. What does the Bible say about that? 1 John 5, 19. We know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Number one, we are of God. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. You have two different worldviews, two different ways of seeing the world. That of God, or through the lens of the way of Cain, which is subservient to Baal, which is Satan. So back to Ahab. He's pouting because he wants the vineyard of Naboth. And Naboth won't sell it to him. Why? Because it's not yours or mine to give. It's an inheritance from God, and he has given it to my family. Naboth understands that. Ahab pouts. Jezebel sends the letters down there. Stone him. They kill him, the people of uh, the area. And then Ahab goes and takes the vineyard. So in response, in 1 Kings 21, Behold, God says, I will bring evil upon you, Ahab, and will utterly sweep you away, and will cut off from Ahab... Every male, both bond and free, in Israel. Surely there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. God is now going to kill all the males, the entire bloodline of Ahab. Why? Jezebel was inciting him. And here's a, I didn't put in this verse last week, but of Jezebel also the Lord has spoken, saying, the dogs will eat Jezebel in the district of Jezreel. So Jezreel is the area. In that area is Naboth's property. So notice Ahab is going to die and Jezebel is going to get eaten by dogs here in this area. Maybe if you were of the line of Ahab, you might want to go somewhere else. But it's interesting, God's sovereign. Number two, God declared that every male in the line of Ahab would be killed. Every male in the line of Ahab would be killed. And so Ahab himself dies. Remember, he went up to Ramoth Gilead over on the other side of the Jordan. That's supposed to be on inheritance. He talks to Jehoshaphat, the king of Jerusalem. They go up together. But in that battle, Ahab dies. So a certain man drew his bow at random. Only the myth of evolution will grant magical power to random. Random has no power. It's not a force, but watch how many people worship randomness. Mike's sermon today, it's not random. It's called Providence. It's called providence. There is nothing random. If God is sovereign, there cannot be random. You can't have sovereign and random at the same time. First Kings 22, so the king died. This is Ahab and was brought to Samaria and they buried the king in Samaria. They washed the chariot by the blood of Samaria or by the pool of Samaria and the dogs licked up his blood. Now the harlots bathed themselves there according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke. Here is the word that the Lord spoke through Elijah to Ahab in 1 Kings 21. You shall speak to Ahab, saying, Thus says the Lord, Have you murdered and taken possession of the vineyard, Ahab? And you, Elijah, shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, In the place where the dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, the dogs will lick up your blood, even yours. Number three, God told Ahab that the dogs would lick up his blood on Naboth's property in Jezreel. 
So that's just a brief summary of kind of last week with the house of Omri. Now we're going to go to the aftermath of this confrontation because you have a confrontation, only one guy can come out. And remember, there was the battle between the priests of Baal and that of Elijah. 1 Kings 18, when Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, is this you, you troubler of Israel? This is right before the showdown. Elijah said, I have not troubled Israel. They've had a famine for three years. But you and your father's house, the house of Omri, have, because you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals, plural, multiple gods. But yes, it's all Baal, which we know is Satan, the one guy in charge of it. Now then, send and gather me all Israel. So all the people at Mount Carmel. This is the prophet of Baals. That's their stronghold. Together with the 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of the Asherah, who are state-sponsored Satan worship. They're eating, and you notice it's Jezebel's table, it's not Ahab's, but the king and the queen are sponsoring these Satan-worshiping people. That's what Jezebel brought in from Tyre. Is this you, you troubler of Ahab? So Ahab does not like Elijah. But you notice there are, no, it's not me, it's you, it's you, it's you, it's you. They're going back and forth. What is that? That's a battle of worldviews. Elijah is of God, The others are of the power of the evil one. And do you see that playing in our world today? Two fundamentally different worldviews. There isn't a third, by the way. There's only two. And you cannot see things the same way if you start from a different premise. So you're either blinded by Satan or enlightened and saved by God. And of course, there's various degrees on each of those, but there's only two camps. So here we have the showdown, the prophets of Baal dancing and cutting themselves. At the end of the day, God answered it. Remember, he burned the offering, the wood, the stones, the dirt, the water. After that was all done, Elijah said to the people, seize the prophets of Baal. There's 850 of them. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them. Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them. Elijah is brimming with confidence. He is speaking for the Lord. He has just had fire come from heaven. And remember, Satan in Job and Revelation can call fire from heaven. So I would bet that those prophets of Baal had seen that. They're on their home turf. They relish this combat. But God is sovereign and Satan, Baal, is silent and can't answer anything. And God answers in a ferocious manner. So he declares who is the sovereign one. So Elijah now is pumped up, and he has just killed all these evil priests. But what happens? Somebody else enters. First Kings 19, 1-4. Now Ahab told, you know Ahab is always going home and whining to his wife? Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods, plural, she is not care about monotheism, multiple gods. May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I have not made your life like one of the prophets of Baal. You will be dead by tomorrow. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Number four, the confidence of Elijah faded quickly once Jezebel entered the scene. He was fine standing there against Ahab. He's fine killing all the prophets of Baal, but now you have this evil queen, and you see a total change in demeanor with Elijah. He is now fearful. He knows who the power behind the throne really is. It's Jezebel. 
When he came to, so he runs for his life. When he comes to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. So he is afraid running for his life. Where is he going? He's going to Beersheba. So you hear that phrase from Dan to Beersheba. You have to look at a map to understand what's going on. Dan is up here. Dan was not supposed to be up there. Remember Dan is removed from Revelation and the 12 tribes. Dan was supposed to be originally right here down by Judah. But who's down there? The Nephilim. They flee. They go up. So when you read the book of Judges, you have to realize it's not chronological. And you understand that by looking at names of places. It's difficult to get. But the last couple chapters actually be in the beginning. When Dan moves north, they're fleeing the combat. They do not want their inheritance. And they're saying no inheritance has befallen us as though it's a passive thing you receive. God said, you go take it. They shirked combat and left and were cursed by God. So Dan moves up here. So that's where the saying comes from Dan to Beersheba. Beersheba is the far south of Jerusalem. So uh, Mount Carmel is up in here in the north of Samaria. Jezreel is right in here. So Ahab whines to Jezebel. She says, you're a dead man. So he flees. To, he's not going to go up in a tire. He flees south to a whole other country. Judah's another country with a different king. And then he goes as far south as he can to Beersheba. Is he acting with faith or fear? He's acting with fear. Oh, he had two for two. He was bragging about it before, but now we're one of, we're two of three. That's still not bad. All right, so Jezebel now enters, and there is fear, and Elijah requested for himself a god that he might die. He lay down and slept under a juniper tree, and behold, there was an angel touching him, and the angel said, Arise, eat. Elijah looked, and behold, there was at his head a bread cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord, that's a very interesting character, by the way, but the angel of the Lord came a second time and touched him and said, Arise, eat, the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. So just like Moses, he does a 40-day, 40-night deal without eating down in Horeb. And if you went to the men's breakfast yesterday, it was an amazing talk on Mount Sinai, and even could see probably where the cave of Elijah was, and you see the burnt top of Mount Sinai where God descended on fire. Really cool stuff. He, Elijah, came there to a cave, spent the night, and the word of the Lord came to him. Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. Behold, the Lord is passing by, and a great and powerful wind was tearing out the mountain and breaking the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. What kind of a wind is tearing a mountain apart and breaking apart rocks? That's pretty amazing. Just like the scene that you had when God gave the Ten Commandments. First Kings 19, he goes on. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord is not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord is not in the fire. After the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now, it's kind of interesting because the angel of the Lord told him, and he went a day south into the wilderness below Beersheba, but now he's 40 days, so he has an additional journey further south he went. But what are you doing here? You're on the mountain of the Lord. Well, I'm kind of hiding from Jezebel, but he has this 40-day experience. 
Elijah replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. And yes, Jezebel had been doing that earlier. Elijah was aware of it. I'm the only one left. And I didn't worry about the prophets of Baal. I didn't worry so much about Ahab. But now Queen Jezebel is in it, and they are trying to kill me too. So I got out of Dodge. I can't solve the problem. Don't feel very good. It's, it, don't, don't laugh at Elijah. How many of us got taken straight to heaven? None of us. So he's a heavyweight, yet he is in this state of, I can't solve the problem. We look back and see problem solved when you are living through the valley of the shadow. It's not always clear. I can't connect the dots, Lord. I don't even understand what all the dots are, and I can't connect them, and so I'm going to pout about it. What is God's response to pouting? What was that? Who knew that? Where was that? You're going to go. So God says, go. You're sitting here pouting, hiding. God's command is go. And this is fascinating. First Kings 19. The Lord said to him, go. Number five. God responded to Elijah's pouting with the command to go. Engage in the solution. Don't run. Don't hide. No tail between the legs. Go. Engage. Do what? Anoint. 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 You're going to go do things. Well, who are these dudes? This is not even Israel. That's their enemies to the north. You're going to anoint their king. Jehu, he's going to play a role here. He's going to kill all sorts of people. Jehu is the commander. Remember Ahab went up to Ramoth Gilead to take it? Jehu is the commander of the forces there. He has loyalty to the army. Ahab's going to die. Jehu's going to come kill everybody. You are going to anoint Jehu king, and he is going to kill Jezebel and all of Ahab's family. That's the message you are carrying. Talk about a hot letter. And you're going to anoint Elisha to come after you. But go, return, retrace your steps. Don't go around the fray. Go through it. Where is he at? So he went down to Beersheba a day into the wilderness. But then he went on 40 days. He's getting clear down to Mount Sinai. He's got to come clear back up, right back through Jezebel's stronghold. And it's a return in another passage. Retrace your steps, essentially. Right back through here and go to a foreign country. And you are carrying a message of death to all those opposing me. You thought things were scary? Or you thought... It was hard. You're not going to hide. You're going to go right into the fray, marching to your death. So Leonidas, these guys would be three, 400 years after this, but they go marching. They all knew, all 300 had sons already born to carry on their name. They knew they were going to die. Elijah probably realized, I am going to die, but I'm carrying this message. So let's go back to the ranch with Ahab and Jezebel. So this is the line of Israel. You had Samaria by Ahab's father, Omri, Jezebel after Baal, Ethbaal, the king of Tyre, the priest of Baal, and they have a daughter named Athaliah. So normally they're talking about sons, and the bloodlines go through only males, but they have a daughter, Athaliah, who's going to play a key role here. On the other side, down south, you have the holy line. This is where the seed of the woman is prophesied to come from, from Abraham, then the line of David, the king of Jerusalem, that will ultimately come to the Messiah. So we have two competing worldviews here, one that is godly and holy, and the other is not. It's been totally polluted by Baal worship. So we're looking at this stage in history with King Ahab, 
And remember, he is an Israelite. He is from the 12 tribes. He is a Samaritan. They haven't been mixed breeds yet. And they go seek out Baal worship. And now he has a daughter named Athaliah with Jezebel. And Athaliah is going to move south and interpolate herself into the role of the kings in the line to Jesus. That's where she's going to go. And she actually rules. Did you know Israel had a queen? Israel had a queen for a six-year period of time, and that's it right there, Athaliah. That's Israel, Jerusalem in the south, the holy line. There was never a a province, uh, it was never supposed to have a queen, only a king, but she usurps the throne, and she is polluting the line of David. So let's look at this line of David, 2 Chronicles 21. Now when Jehoram, so that's in the line of David, we're talking about the kingly line going to the Messiah. When Jehoram had taken over the kingdom of his father and gathered courage, he killed all his brothers with a sword and some of the leaders of Israel as well. So he's killing all these people. He walked in the way of the kings of Israel, like Ahab up in the north, just as the house of Ahab had done. Why? Always ask why and think when you're reading Scripture. For Ahab's daughter, Athaliah, was his wife, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. He killed all his brothers with the sword, all his brothers with the sword. So there's Athaliah from the ungodly line, from Jezebel, from Tyre, Baal worship. She imports herself over to the line of the Messiah and marries a king in the line of David whose name is Jehoram. And when you read these, you'll find there's a Jehoram and a Joram on each side. You have to be very careful when you're going through. It's like the kings of Persia. But if you get, I'm going to just call him Jehoram and Joram over here. But be careful when you're reading it. You can't go fast. You have to take your time. So Jehoram, what does he do? He kills all his brothers. He is solidifying himself. No rivals for me. I'm going to stay on this throne at the behest of Athaliah. God sends him a letter through Elijah. A letter came to him from Elijah, the prophet, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of your father David, because you have not walked in the ways of Jehoshaphat. Remember Jehoshaphat when they were going up to Ramoth Gilead? And he said, well, isn't there a prophet of God? And he's kind of looking for God. He, Jehoshaphat was a good God. Because you have not walked in his ways, or in the ways of Asa, who is before Jehoshaphat, because you haven't walked in their ways, but you've walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, like Ahab, you have caused Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem now to play the harlot, to go after false gods and Baal and Asherah. In the house of Ahab, you are playing the harlot, and you have killed your brothers, your own family, who were better than you. So this is an evil man spurred on by Athaliah, the daughter of Ahab, killing all of his brothers, causing Judah now, the holy line, to go into harlotry. They were supposed to be holy, not having syncretism. Behold, the Lord is going to strike your people, your sons, your wives, and all your possessions with a great calamity. There's going to be a great problem that comes, and that's always an interesting word. There's going to be a great problem and calamity that comes, but I might soften it, but I might spare you. I would much rather getting chastised by God here, yeah, but maybe in your son's day, but not yours, something like that. This is putting upon and upon upon. This is going to be a calamity, and we're going to add something to this. Well, what does God add? You will suffer a severe sickness, a disease of your bowels, until your bowels come out because of the sickness day by day. And this day by day in the Hebrew is emphasizing 
the relentless progression. This doesn't just bang, the bowels fall out. This is worse and worse and worse every day. And you'll see it takes two years. Are you kidding? No, I'm not kidding. This is intestinal prolapse. That is an end. There's going to be a great calamity. All these guys are going to die. And you are going to suffer for two long years. Deal with that. Imagine your daily function. What you have to go through to clean your pipes. It's actually amazing to just think through the logistics of things. So after all this, the Lord struck him. We're talking about Jehoram in his intestines with an incurable sickness. And it came about in the course of time at the end of two years, day by day, two years, that his bowels came out because of his sickness and he died in great pain. It will be painful for you. And his bowels came out. And his people, the people in Jerusalem, did not make a funeral fire for him like the fire for his fathers. He was 32 years old and he became king. He reigned in Jerusalem eight years. He departed with no one's regret. And they buried him in the city of David, but not in the tombs of the kings. Number six, God created us teleological beings. Satan tempts us with immediate gratification. God created us as teleological. Uh, that is the same thing that Mike was talking about earlier today with providence. He is always working things towards the end, teleological. What is the end? Do we see the end from the beginning? God does. He's created us that way. The Bible is ultimately about delayed gratification. Satan wants us to focus on the immediate. Hey, kill all your offspring. Solidify yourself as king. Oh, dude, that was great. You got... Eight years of kingship. Six may have been decent, but how are the last two? And how's your eternity going to go? Hmm, was it worth six years? So now we get back to our bloodline. So that was Jehoram right there. At the behest of Athaliah, his wife, from Jezebel, he kills his brothers. So in response to that, God kills him with an uncurable bowel disease. And then we go back to Ahab and Jezebel. Over on that side, we had Elijah, who just had beaten the prophets of Baal and killed them. And he is replaced now because he's anointing people. He goes and anoints Elisha, who again did not go up in a fiery chariot. His cloak comes down. The chariot distracts them, and he goes up in a whirlwind. And that now is the guy who follows Elisha. So we're just following because Elijah anointed Elisha. Elisha anoints Jehu. He was the military commander of Ahab's forces up by Ramoth Gilead. And so he is now anointed to go wipe out Ahab's family. And this is what the Lord says, I have anointed you king over Israel. Realize that's not Jerusalem and Judah. You are king over Israel in the north and you are going to waylay people. You are an instrument of God. He is not Jehoshaphat. He is not the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi. Or he, that's who he is. He is not the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Asa. So if you're reading sloppy, you might think he is of the bloodline of Jehoshaphat and the kings of Jerusalem. Different Jehoshaphat. So now we're going to look at the bloodbath. This is where it gets interesting. First Kings 21. Behold, I, God, will bring evil upon you, Ahab. I will utterly sweep you away and cut off every male, both bond and free in Israel. Surely there's been no one like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. Why? Because of his wife Jezebel, who they imported with Baal worship from Tyre. I will cut off, God says, every male from your line. It will be extinguished. Do you see how Ahab has humbled me, though, he tells Elijah? 
Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the evil in his days, but I will bring it upon his house in his son's days. So God says, I'm going to bring evil into the line of Ahab, but because he humbled me, it's not coming in his time, but his son's. Well, what's happened to Ahab? He's been killed, so now it's time to get it rolling. So the bloodbath party's going to get started, right? So it's not in Ahab's time, but now he's dead. It's the day of his sons. Now the party's getting started. So let's see. Second Kings 9. You, Jehu, shall strike the house of Ahab, your master, that I may avenge the blood of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of all the servants of the Lord at the hands of Jezebel. For the whole house of Ahab shall perish. I will cut off from Ahab every male person, both bond and free. The dogs shall eat Jezebel in the territory of Jezreel, and none shall bury her. Every male is going to die. So number seven, Jehu was anointed by God to eliminate Ahab's line and become king of Israel. Remember, Ahab's line was never anointed. They usurped the throne. Um, As you're thinking about God, and we look at him, we talked about this last week, it's the way of Cain that will say God is bloodthirsty. You cannot, in your mind, grant that God is sovereign and then criticize the way he sovereignly ends anybody's life. Think about that. If God is sovereign, there is no criticism for what he does. He is a sovereign God, not a bloodthirsty God. But he does. Think about growing up in Israel. You would raise that lamb for a year, and then you'd put your hands on his throat, and then you'd slit it. Your sin went on to that lamb, and your little six-year-old kid slit the throat of that lamb. It is graphic. Sin requires death. So here we are with Athaliah, and she and Jehoram, they have a son named Ahaziah. Ahab and Jezebel have a son, Joram. Ahab is now dead, so it's time for the bloodshed to start going. Ahaziah comes up and is going to help Joram, but who is anointed? Jehu from the north, and he's going to come down and kill both of these kings in the same time. So in 2 Kings 9, then Joram said, get ready, and they made his chariot ready. That's the son of Ahab. Joram, the king of Israel, the son of Ahab, and Ahaziah from Judah went out, each in his own chariot. They went out to meet Jehu, and they found him on the property of, oh, look at that, Naboth, the Jezreelite. Why? Why, Joram, are you dinking around on Naboth's property? Why would you do that? Because I belong to the way of Cain. God is not sovereign. He does not distribute land according to his uh, dictates. I am going to do it myself. And that's what Jezebel told Ahab to do. Are you not king? They are defiant against God who is in control sovereignly over when you live, when you die, and the territory upon which you live. And that's understanding the Exodus as well. So when Joram saw Jehu, he said, Is your intention peace, Jehu? Because he is riding furiously in his chariot. And Jehu answered, What peace? So long as your mother Jezebel's acts of prostitution and witchcraft are so many. So Joram reigned about and fled and said to Isaiah, There is treachery, O Ahaziah. Jehu drew his bow with full strength and shot Joram between his arms. And the arrow went through his heart and sank into his chariot. So Jehu is an archer dude that's pretty good. And Jehu said to Bidkar, his officer, take him up and cast him in the property right there, the field of Naboth, the Jezreelite. For I remember when you and I were riding together after Ahab, his master, the Lord laid this oracle against him. Surely I, God, have seen yesterday the blood of Naboth 
and the blood of his sons. He didn't just kill Naboth. He killed his family to take the inheritance. Says the Lord, I will repay, I, God, will repay you in this property, says the Lord. Now then, take and cast him into the property according to the word of the Lord. So Jehu is shooting all these guys with his bow. So two kings come, and he shoots both of them, uh, and they are both now dead. Jezebel is still alive. So when Jehu came to Jezreel, still in Jezreel, by Naboth's property, Jezebel heard about it, and she put makeup on her eyes and adorned her head, looked down through the window. As Jehu entered the gate, she said, Is your intention peace, Zimri? Why is she calling him Zimri? Well, she's referencing how Omri... There was Ahab and then Omri, the first king of Samaria. There was a dude named Zimri who was also a military commander who rebelled against his king and killed him. And that ended up leading to civil war, how Omri came in to be. So she is just saying, just like my father became king, there was a dude, Zimri, who rebelled against his master. Jehu, are you rebelling against your master, Ahab, and me? You're darn right I am. He raised his voice his face towards the window and said, who is with me? Who? And two or three officials looked down at him. Then he said, throw her down. So they threw her down and some of her blood spattered on the wall and on the horses and he trampled her underfoot. When he came in, he ate and drank, took a break. And he said, okay, see to this cursed woman and bury her because she is the daughter of a king. So they went to bury her, but they found nothing of her except the skull, the feet, and the palms of her hand. Therefore they returned and informed him. And Jehu said, This is the word of the Lord, which he spoke by his servant, Elijah the Tishbite. On the property of Jezreel the dog shall eat the flesh of Jezebel, and the corpse of Jezebel will be like dung on the face of the field in the property of Jezreel. So they can't even say this is her. You want the property? You'll get it, but not in the way you thought. Number eight, Jezebel was eaten by dogs on Naboth's property. So here's Jezebel. She's now dead. But Ahab had 70 sons, multiple wives. Jezebel wasn't his only wife. So multiple kids, 70 in Samaria. And Jehu wrote letters to the, uh, them in Samaria to the officials of Jezreel and the elders and the guardians of the children of Ahab, saying, Now, when this letter comes to you, since you're, look what they have. Since your master's sons are with you and you have chariots and horses and a fortified city, you have Samaria, you have weapons, select the best and most capable of the sons and put them on the throne and let them defend their throne. Because I've been commissioned by God to kill them. Well, the dudes in charge are like, well... Uh, I don't think this is going to work. And so what they do, they feared greatly. They said, two kings did not stand before Jehu. How can we? Because remember, he has the loyalty of the army. So they killed him. The dudes down there killed all the 70 sons and gave their heads to Jehu. When the messenger came and informed him, saying, they, the people down there, have taken the heads of all 70 of the king's sons. He said, put them in two heaps at the, by, by the gate until the morning. So Ahab is dead. His 70 sons are now dead. Then Jehu gathered all the people and said to them, Ahab, serve Baal a little. Jehu will serve him much. Now summon to me all the prophets of Baal and all his worshipers and priests and let no one go missing because I'm going to have a great sacrifice to Baal. Whoever is missing shall not live. But Jehu did this in deception in order to gather all those priests in, and he's going to kill them. And at the end of this, at 2 Kings 10, 28, Jehu eradicated Baal from Israel. Not the north, not Jerusalem. Athaliah is still down there. But now Baal has been eliminated from the north. 
He successfully drained the swamp, just as he anointed to do. But notice that required significant bloodshed. So now Athaliah is left down in the south. And she's going to be angry. You thought Jezebel was bad. Now we have her daughter, Athaliah. So 2 Kings 11.1, When Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead after he went to go help Ahab's son, she rose and destroyed all the royal offspring. That means all the males. Everyone who could possibly be in the line to the Messiah. So Athaliah saw that her son Ahaziah was dead, so she rose up and killed all of the royal offspring. She now usurps the throne in Jerusalem. For six years, Israel had a queen, and they were never supposed to have a queen. Um, That was not in the law. I'm not sure what's going on with that. So now let's ask the question, what does that mean? So you could be like Mike's daughters and cheat and go through, or like all of us, we cheat because we're not that emotionally disturbed. And we should be. Because what does this mean? The line of David has been broken and fallen apart. The Messiah can be no more. It's gone up in flame. Why? Because all the royal offspring have been destroyed. Now, we're cheating emotionally because we know there was a Messiah. We're looking back, and we live fat and sassy here in America. We're going to go through our problems when we can't see it. If we go back in time and go through this, what would you do if you were living back then waiting for the Messiah? Number nine, Athaliah eradicated the line of David, thus eliminating any hope for the Messiah. So this is despair. There's fear and despair. So let's go to our last segment and look at the difference. Fear, you have a solution like this. You're going to be afraid. You have fear. You're getting in a car wreck. You see it coming, but you might stop. The other dude might veer or something. Might, there might be a solution. Maybe your seatbelt holds you. You don't die. Dude breaks into your house. You can have fear, but it's not despair because you can always call for help. Call 911. The police might come. Get your boys out from the attic and get them down from playing video games and they help. You might be able to survive this. There might be a solution. Is there a possible solution? Fear? Yes. Despair? No. Despair has no solution. You're stuck in a bad spot. I, you know, I thought that was pretty good. So, uh, seriously though, you look in Isaiah 14, I will make myself like the Most High. Look what Lucifer, Satan, the fallen one, has now said. I will make myself like the Most High. Because the seed of the woman, Genesis 3.15, that's what it's all about. And that line from David has been broken. You can't just invent a Messiah. He has to go through the bloodline. So I have not only thwarted God's word, I can legitimately claim to be infinite, the eternal one, the sovereign one, but also the seed of the woman is going to crush my head and now there can be no seed of the woman. So we know there was a seed of the woman, but if you were living then worshiping Yahweh, you might say, how can we even pray? You get into a cage match and you're out of weight class and out of creature class, you're in trouble. How do you pray? Number 10, when faced with despair, it is impossible for us to know what solution to pray for. That's where we need mental toughness in our faith. It's easy when you know the answer. You can pray for that. But if you're living, if you were worshiping Yahweh and you said, how on earth? Six years. One, two, three, up to six. There is a usurper queen ruling who's not even Israelite and she's Baal worship. 
and they've destroyed the line of the Messiah. How do we get to the Messiah? How do you pray? We are probably going to have this in our world. We've lived fat and sassy in a Judeo-Christian nation. And you realize quickly it is not that anymore. And so there is a sovereign God, but our free will, our ability to connect dots, is very small and very limited. Recall God's response to Elisha, to Elijah, to go. Go and act, engage, anoint three things that are going to be totally contrary to what Jezebel has in mind. And he tells Elijah, you're not the only one. I reserve 7,000 in Israel. Quit your belly aching. There's things you don't know about. God has never asked us to connect all the dots. We can't. We can't even identify most of the dots. If we can't even identify a dot, how do we connect it and deal with it over time? God never asks us to solve it. He asks us to go and to do what he asks us to do. That's what his answer is, and it's about the truth. If we wait like we're doing here, we look back, and oh, I see how it works. The full truth in real time, we can never understand it. Very true. Our finite mind cannot handle the truth of God. Number 11, we are incapable of understanding the full truth of God's sovereign plan, especially in real time. Now, he reveals so we can look back, so we can have faith for the future, but in real time, we can never comprehend it all. So we get back to 2 Kings 11. When Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the royal offspring. So Ahaziah, her son, where does he fit in the bloodline? That's where he fits. So the inhabitants of Jerusalem, notice it wasn't anointing by the prophet. The inhabitants of Jerusalem made him king, the youngest son. Why were the older ones? Well, who's your, oh, Bowel boy's oldest, or excuse me, youngest son, what happened to his older sons? A bunch of Arabs had already killed him. And so Ahaziah became king, began to reign. The inhabitants in Jerusalem made him king. He was not anointed. So that's Ahaziah. He was 22 years old. His older brothers already killed when he became king, and he reigned one year in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Athaliah, the granddaughter of Omri. Ahaziah walked in the ways of the house of Ahab because his mother was his counselor to do wickedly. He did evil in the sight of the Lord like the house of Ahab, for they were his counselors after the death of his father to his destruction. He is following the way of Cain, which is idol worship, Baal worship, Satan worship in the house of Ahab. So that's Athaliah. She killed, or when her son died, she realized that, so she went and said, if it can't be my son, because there's multiple wives with different kids, she kills all the male heirs, so there cannot be a line. She doesn't care about the line of David. She doesn't care about the Messiah. In fact, they want to destroy it. She's working for Baal. So when you really look at this and think it through, Satan has won. He destroyed the bloodline that leads to the seed of the woman by eradicating the line of David. And that is despair. For six years, if you lived at that time, you wouldn't know how to solve the problem. So, Athaliah killed all the royal offspring, and there's always interesting words that God uses. But... So remember, with bowel boy, there's going to be a bad problem, and we're going to add to it. Here, she has destroyed all the royal offspring. She rules for six years, 
but even at that time, but something happened. But what? This lady, the daughter of Jehoram. Now, which guy was Jehoram? That guy. So he had various wives. So this would be from a different wife than uh, Thaliah. She is the sister of Ahaziah. She took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from the king's sons who were being put to death, placed him and his nurse in the bedroom. And that's what does that mean, where they store stuff? But it's in the temple. They hid him from Athaliah. He was not put to death. He was hidden with her, with his aunt, in the house of the Lord for six years while Athaliah reigned over the land. In the temple. Good hiding spot. Who would know where they were? Satan. And he's trying to communicate. Think how God is sovereign. It's obvious. There, he was less than a year old when he's put in there. There's this little infant. I mean, he's going to be crying and making noise and all this stuff. Think of being Satan for a minute, how God toys with him like a cat does a mouse. You know there's the dude in there who's the king. The one last one. Hey, guys, kill him. And the dudes are walking around, and they just never quite figure out where he was for six years. That's pretty amazing. God is sovereign. Happens for six years. Twelve. Joash was hidden in the temple for six years as the sole survivor of the line of David. So there's our timeline. You had Omri, then to Ahab. And these, again, were Jewish Samaritans, they're not mixed race yet, but they bring in Baal worship. Athaliah comes, she usurps the throne and goes down to the south into the line of David. And that is a six-year period. Now you get an even better understanding of why the Jews, the good, godly Jews who wanted the seed of the woman, hated the Samaritans. While they were still Jewish, the Samaritans didn't want him to rebuild the temple, but they imported Baal worship and specifically targeted the line to the Messiah, trying to kill it all so you could have no line of David. That was what the Samaritans did in history. So Athaliah saw her son was dead. She killed all the royal offspring, so they're out. The line of David is gone. The Messiah is gone. But one little boy, an infant, keeps the line alive. So you cannot thwart God's word. You cannot eradicate the line of David. It's very interesting in Matthew. Luke traces his genealogy by blood from Mary all the way back to Adam. Jesus had to belong by blood to Adam. His, his blood only covers sin of humans, not animals, not angels, because it must be connected by blood to Adam. Matthew traces the royal line and the king line. Matthew omits, and you'll get very frustrated. Try to do this. Open it up. There's three sections of 14. It's all about an acrostic of David. And you'll get so frustrated you can't figure it out. That's an exercise for another day. And it's he's also partial. Luke doesn't skip anybody. Matthew does. And here's four that he skips because Jehu takes over the north. He has nothing to do with the south, but four generations. So there's at least four generations here at this time that really aren't counted worthy. Yes, they're in the bloodline, but they're not written in Matthew's genealogy. One is the queen. So she is in the line. It's males that carry the bloodline, but four generations are omitted. Here's one, Athaliah. She ruled in Jerusalem, but she's omitted by Matthew. Her son, Ahaziah is removed. Even Joash is not, and Joash's son Amaziah is not. That's four generations connected to this, not put in Matthew's genealogy. He also doesn't put ones that were put in there by the king of Egypt instead of through the prophets. 
Pretty interesting. So now we close this up, and you have Jehoiada, the high priest. There's a little boy, seven years old now, and they announce him as king. And there's the temple guards, and then there's the military people. So Athalia had the military people, but they doubled their temple guards, and then they killed her in a fascinating deal, got rid of her. And as long as Jehoiada was the high priest, Joash was a good king. But when the high priest died, he went south. So, God has not given us a spirit of fear. Doesn't matter. We just looked through something and we were very comfortable reading what would have been uncomfortable because we know how the story ended. We were like Mike's daughters and cheated. God gives us that so we know no matter what happens in the future, His word will still come true. So, in summary, we looked at the Queen of Despair, the House of Omri, Baal worship comes in and specifically then attacks Satan going after the bloodline of the Messiah. That is the understanding of the Old Testament. None of it makes sense until you realize everything Satan's doing is trying to prevent the seed of the woman. Then we have the aftermath of this battle where Elijah runs away in fear, but he has a 40-day experience, and God has this amazing interaction with him, and God actually just takes Elijah up. He never dies. Then we have the bloodbath, because it was not going to happen in the days of Ahab, but once Ahab was dead, his whole family just gets obliterated. There's massive bloodshed going on everywhere, ultimately leading to despair with no hope for six years. Impossible to have a Messiah if you were not in the inner circle of very few with the high priest that knew there was a little baby. Amazing to watch God sovereignly work. Don't run and hide. Go and engage. So let's uh, say a prayer. Dear Lord, I just thank you for loving us. Thank you for this day. And thank you that we can read your word. Help us to be diligent students of your word and to think and to not just read it to check a box and put the book down, but help us to seek your wisdom and your sovereignty, sovereignty so we can follow you in all we do. In Jesus' name, amen.